0: Hey everybody, Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to Pitch List. We want to discover what makes creative people tick. Join us as we explore what it means to be a writer, and more importantly, what it means to be a person. Remember why you love music, and welcome to Pitch List. Hey everybody, Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to the 50th episode of Pitch List. If this is your first episode, or if you've been listening from the very beginning, thank you. This show is for you, and whether it informs, inspires, or just entertains, my intention has always been to shine a little light on the elusive and mysterious road to a songwriting life. Today, we're talking with an old friend, the fabulous Annie Roboff. I met Annie right after her incredible radio run with Faith Hill's This Kiss. The song was a super smash. It propelled Faith to superstardom and became one of those rare country crossover hits when it invaded pop radio and hit number one all over again. Annie's a true pro with a crazy resume and also a very soulful person who always brings herself to the song she writes. Here's Annie Roboff. So, The question was, did you, um, you had already moved to Nashville when you wrote This Kiss.
1: Yeah, I I lived in Nashville and was loving Nashville and, but happened to come out to LA um, for a writing trip and I was hanging with my friend Robin Lerner, who I'd known forever. And uh, she had a, she has a brother who had a a house uh, right on the beach of Malibu and uh, one day she asked if I wanted to write, and I was kind of like, "Well, could we write at your brother 's house on the porch on the patio?" She called him up he said, "Sure." so we went out and we had uh one of the Yamaha keyboards that were you could put on your lap and you push yeah. the button and the and the beat, the beat would go and within five or ten minutes, the music was mostly written, not all of it, but almost all of it was written. And uh, and Robin said to me, that's really good. And I was, I didn't get that. It didn't seem to me any different than anything else I'd ever put down. So fortunately, she keeps her uh, tape recorder running at all times as all writers should. That's always, a
0: great note. Yes.
1: Always keep it going. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times somebody will say, all right, play that back and I'll say, oh, okay. And it turns out they play the tape back, and it has—it's not what I did at all. So, um, so she had it, and uh, Beth Chapman also was out here. So, and we were good friends. So, we uh, all got together and finished the song up.
0: Did you um, did you call her and say to Beth, like we got this cool thing going? Do you want to hear it, or how did that how did that
1: part work? Oh, uh, Beth and I were hanging out after that writing session, we just happened to be hanging out. Mm -hmm. Beth was here to, uh, to do some, uh, shopping for her album cover, whatever album she was working on at the time. And so she said, what'd you do today? And I played it for her. She goes, I love that. That's fantastic. And, you know, uh, sooner than later, we thought, what a great idea. Let's bring her in. And she, uh, she contributed a lot uh to the song a lot wow and when we discussed this before um
0: you'd said your original demo was r&b
1: right when when you did it on the yamaha with that little puny little drum loop or whatever it seemed like a, a a song that would be good for brandy or somebody like that and it was very synthed out, like you know in a very rhythmic R and V guitar way and it worked it worked we just didn't have any uh l- luck uh pitching it i don't want another heartbreak i don't need another time to cry no, i don't want to learn the hard way baby hello oh no but you're dropping like a rocket shooting square. And then one day, I was in. it was like midnight, and I got into the bathtub, and Robin Lerner called me and said, Annie, there's somebody on the phone that wants to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And Robin said, go ahead. And the woman says, hi, it's Bette Midler. And I thought it was a joke. I mean, you hear songwriters tell these kind of stories all day yeah. long. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a friend of ours who was making the joke. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah and I'm splashing around in the bath, you know, and uh, my Robin goes, no, Annie, it's it's really bet." And so I like, I froze in the bathtub and uh, she said, I love that song. I want to cut that song. And we said to her, well, bet we sent that to you a year ago and, and Faith is cutting it, but I'm sure it won't go pop. So you can cut it pop. It's fine. You can cut it pop. So then she happens to be, she calls me up and says, okay, I want you to come out and co-produce the the song for me. Uh, We had a date booked, everything. And on her way to LA, she flew out with uh, Gary Boardman, who was, who's a manager and was Faith Hill's manager at the time. Mm -hmm. And said, don't touch that song. That song, we have big plans for that song. Do not touch it. So, Bet never got to record it. And then uh, when there was a behind the music, they were doing the divas for VH1 or something like that. And uh, Brandy said to, uh, to Faith, I wish I had had that song. I would have loved to have cut that song. And, of course, we wanted to say, well, you did have that song. Wow. But, you know, it's just we were very lucky because Faith was the perfect person for it. Um, it established a great relationship with Missy Gallimore, who all of us know is a great, I mean, she has her own company again now, but was one of the great song, uh, you know, uh, A&R people. She just got all the songs for Jody and Faith and Tim and, you know, we can go on and on and on.
0: Yeah. She's an, she's an, she's an amazing, She well, first of all, Missy loves songs. You know, she has a passion for them. She really loves songs, and she's great at picking them. You also told me something a while back. We were talking about this. So when you switched the demo from R&B to a guitar-based demo, right. talk about that and how that sort of changed it.
1: Well, I just thought, let's put it all on guitars, and uh, let's jangle the guitars. You know, that beautiful arpeggiation sound mm-hmm. and people can – can think of it, uh, it's all over records, but you can think of a Mary Chapin Carpenter record, but there are tons and tons of U2 records, and you know, it's a, yeah. a certain thing. And, and the minute we did that, the song came to life in a whole different way. Whole different way, and and the thing is, is that Nashville in the '90s and early 2000s, I guess we we were a murder on Music Row. I guess we were we were the evil murderers on Music Row, but um, it, right. it 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 was perfect for everything that we had been trained to do because I loved acoustic music. We all loved acoustic music, but a lot of us were pop people. And But a lot of us were much, much rootsier than pop people. And we, we felt more of a rootsy, earthy kind of thing going on. And that wasn't really, uh, there wasn't a space for that in Los Angeles at that time. There really wasn't. And uh, so we all went to to Nashville. And so when you had a song like This Kiss with the jangling guitars, that's really who we were. It was like, it took, for me, it took, I mean, I did, I was in many ways successful from, from very beginning of trying to earn a living musically, not always, but most of the time. And yet it took until I was in my mid-30s until I found my actual merger of sound, of who I really was. I, I figured out, you put all the different pieces together, this is who I am, this is what I'm able to
0: give back. Yeah I love that and you reminded me of things I've forgotten about Murder on Music Row was one of them and I think um, uh, Amy and I and some of our that we were we were part of that too. Yeah. Of, oh of, yeah. Of, but you know it's so great to hear what you said because it's true we were rock and pop people but we weren't really what we were doing wasn't going to work in LA and we all did have an organic nature to what we were doing. And in the middle of it, I mer- I remember reading those articles and there were people that said sort of nasty, snipey things about the song. Oh, yeah. And I remember thinking, well, you know, people like this. I mean, it, it's like selling a lot of records. So, I mean, why are you mad at us for doing something that people like? I mean, it's not up to us to decide what people like. We're just, you know, we're doing what we love, and people love it, so what, what else would you have us well, do?
1: I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I was, on, I was in the Caribbean one day, and I was in, going into the water, and there were these 10-year-old girls about 30 feet ahead of me, and they're going, it's a way you know. it's a feeling like did. They're 10 years old, and I'm like, I swear I know that song, I've heard that song somewhere. And finally, I realized it was this kiss. And I went up to them and I said, you're not going to believe this, but I wrote that song and they ran out. They were like, oh, <laughs> somebody's trying to kidnap me or something. But- your danger. The point is, is it's not up to us to decide, like you say, what's a hit song. 10 year olds, that's where, that's where, that's the, the crux. And uh, we weren't pushing anybody out. It's not like somebody else was making great music and we were, like, getting rid of it, people, things go in their eras and their stages, and there's always room for everything. And we were doing what was of our generation, and that's, we, we did the right thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't more country or less country. Also, the, 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 it was a much more globalized world in the 90s than it was in the 60s and the 50s, it was a whole different world if you can't bring it back. So we I guess we committed murder, but what can you do?
0: Yeah, what can you do? And also there are still, you know, there were always great country, you know, traditional country records. That people there were uh Leanne Womack, although she had a giant whatever popish hit, always made incredible country records and they were always
1: there for anybody who wanted them incredible country records. And Sarah, uh, she made great country records and a lot of people did. And and, you know, like Harlan Howard wasn't getting cuts. They weren't going like into the ether. They were going on people's records. Yeah. So people were, all kinds of people were still getting cuts. A great song is a great song. You cannot keep a great song down.
0: No, it's so true. And it's hard when you're starting out, It's hard to, to, uh, for me, it was hard to, I'd be like, no, no, I've got great songs if somebody just heard them or if the right person heard them. And that is somewhat true. I mean, you do have to have someone hear it, but a a, a smash, a a legitimate hit song will work its way through because everyone involved wants to be part of it and share it. Somebody wants to give it to that A&R person or that artist because they look good bringing it. Right. it, I always try to give that advice to younger writers. Just make something great. Something will happen. I promise something will happen.
1: Yeah, and be ruthless because I, I, I love music. I, I, I happen to have enough talent to, to be able to make a living doing music. I'm lucky that I have enough, right? Mm-hmm. But I love music, period. And I, I'm just as happy listening to a hit song that you wrote, a song i wrote it makes me equally happy you know matter of fact it probably makes me happier to listen to a song you've written right so when i'd hear my songs i was very ruthless with them because i i didn't have an ego investment as to whether or not my song was better or worse i just knew i would know when i wrote a song is this as good as those other three songs that i love and the answer was either yes or no and you know, up until a certain point, the answer often was no. But when it was yes, then I knew not to stop because uh, because I'd been ruthless with myself. And I knew that a, you, you, a, a great song is a great song. When I first moved to uh, Nashville, uh, God Bless the Broken Road was a big, uh, not a big hit, it was a quasi-video hit on CMT with a a, a, a woman, I forget her name, but it didn't go anywhere. And I remember going up to both Marcus and Jeff and saying to them, that song's going to be a huge hit somewhere. It's just too its too good a song. It's too huge. And I used to try and pitch it for them in L.A. to an R&B group or whatever, and nobody ever got it. But then 13 years later, Rascal Flatts got it. and Yeah. Our, and Mark, Mark Bright.
0: Right. I think Mark Bright had loved just you know loved this song and had pitched it to several of his acts and then finally found one of his acts that wanted to do it.
1: Right. So I mean, you can't you can't keep a a great song.
0: No. Yeah. You know, um, I want to go back to one thing because I think it's worth talking about, especially for people starting. This kiss was a giant international hit. Okay. You you did that on a little hundred dollar Yamaha beat <laughs> keyboard, right? Correct. I well, think
1: yeah, not the final demo, but
0: yes, it was. No, rare. but the creation of it. Yes, it yes. To show you, you do not need fancy studios, fancy gear, anything. That's no. something you could have bought at Walmart for eighty five bucks and carried out and put four D batteries in it. Correct.
1: Correct. And you know, somebody once told me, "Babyface is a whistler." He said, "You know, he can't play piano like you can play piano. He's a whistler, but he knew songs. He had his guitar, and he mm-hmm. knew a melody. And and I'm convinced Babyface could have not been able to play anything. Sure, still would have had, you know, a hit. And and absolutely, it, it, you don't need to be all. Matter of fact, I've made a conscious decision not to techie up. I, I thought it would take away from my songwriting. I thought I'd be chasing sounds." so much and be so involved in trying to get involved in sound that i really was going to stay acoustic and if i wrote with someone like yourself and you wanted to take it somewhere then that would be great but um, there was a way i actually intentionally downgraded uh you know the kind of instruments that i was working on
0: well, let me, let's get into that because I, I do want to talk about your process. I mean, is your favorite way to just be at a piano with with a lyric heavy person? What's what's your great co write scenario?
1: Well, usually the the great ones have been that I sit down, I start playing something, I'm yeah, uh-huh. and, and then the person is sitting there. I've written, I mean, a huge co-writer, a constant co-writer with me is Beth Nielsen Chapman, and she knows me really well, so she'll also have a hint maybe about what I'm talking about, but she's very good as, as Amy, as trace I mean, name it, it goes down the line, of hearing the, the the syllables you're saying and getting it into a song, and it finally becomes a song. Or I'd be writing with Marcus, and... Music would be done. He'd go downstairs. He'd come back upstairs, and he'd have most of the lyric. And I, I, He'd say, oh, here's a nice little uh, thing. <sharp inhale> and I'd be, Marcus, you were downstairs for 15 minutes. Wow. You know, wow. and, and he'd have the whole thing in his head. Um, but I like writing with other music people, too. I don't feel any turf that way. I, uh, if I was writing with you, it'd be like who brought what that day, great, fine, go for it, whatever we all get excited about. Um, I have written lyric to music. I wrote a whole uh, children's astronomy album uh, called The Mighty Sky with Beth and Rocky Alvey who ran the Vanderbilt astronomy program. And uh, it was nominated for a Grammy and we wrote the whole thing with uh, Rocky first giving us the music, I mean the lyrics, and then we wrote all the music to the lyric. And then Beth had her own song that she, she did a couple of her own songs where she had both the music and the lyric. But uh, uh, that was the first time I did a major project going from lyric. And it was great. But it's not, oh, it's not usually how I write. I mean,
0: so let's talk about it a little bit more. So you're playing piano and singing, so you come in maybe with a little melody and chord maybe. sequence. And, and do you have some words, or is it just all kind of nonsense that you're singing, or a little bit, just like well, a I, vibe?
1: The only song I ever had words on going in right away was a song called Happy Girl. And it was the happy girl, not a happy girl. And um, it got, somebody messed up the uh, lyric sheet at a publishing company. And when Martina (laughs) McBride sang it, she was a happy girl. And it drove us insane as much as we love the record as much and as great as it, it, what a hit it was. It was, I'm the happy girl. You know, it was a noun, not like this little, you know. Right. Whatever. And that was the one song that I I did have a lyric to because I'd gone to this thing called the Hoffman Process, which I just read the other day uh, that Katy Perry said she did, which was, uh, it's this thing where you go for like 10 days and everything you haven't really dealt with uh, in your as a middle-aged person you get 10 days and you deal with it. And, and it's, um, it's a, it's a really wonderful program. And I'm, I'm not usually someone that does those kinds of things, but it was, it, it it was something that really was transformative. And I walked out of there, somebody said to me, oh, you're the happy girl. So I wrote, wow. then my first lyrics were like, I used to live in a shotgun shack with a jet, And then Beth took that and said, okay, I used to live in a darkened room, you know. And and she took it. With this kiss, I think I had a... uh, I didn't have the title at all. Um, It was... I had nothing, but then I think what came out was Baby Hello, Oh No, Goodbye. But that was just me writing... um, And then... I the word centrifugal motion but I I didn't know what I was I was just putting goofy words together subconsciously I wasn't sitting there thinking so sometimes I write some things that get to get kept in and a lot of times almost every word that I've sung never sees the light of day
0: Don't go away Pitch List will be right back after the break
1: But I am, and I'm sure you are, a great editor. You know when it's not right. You know when it can be better.
0: Absolutely. And I think um, for me, as I've moved through my career, I've ended up doing more lyric because I think as you get older as a writer, there may be some fashion and style of music that you're not as connected to sonically. Right, but you, but I feel like I still have a lot to offer as far as staying focused on a title. What's a good thing to write about? What's not a good right. thing to write about? And but if I look back recently, the things that I've had cut, I I was musically involved. So I I don't know if my strategy is really that great. You know, right, so
1: if you don't mind me interviewing you for one second, yeah. How did you write the Blake Shelton song?
0: That's what I was going back to. So that's the Warren Brothers. We maybe write, you know, maybe every three or four months, we're long time co-write, they come in, we, I, I, um, I had that groove and that feel up. I had been messing with it that morning. And, uh, and we just kind of sat it right on top of what I had going. And I think Amy had that title Right. and we were kind of off to the races. So I was in the driver's seat musically on that one for sure. Okay. For sure.
1: I was going to say cuz it sounded like you. I mean it had it it had touches of you that I recognized and I didn't know I was going to be surprised if you said musically you had nothing to do with that song.
0: Right. But yeah. um it's you know man it's always different every songwriting session is different. I think that's yeah. one of the what the beauty of it um it seems like the writers that are really good have that instinct for whatever happens in the room that's right to let it happen. One thing that you said that I'd love for you to talk more about is the lack of ego, because I've noticed through the years, ego is such a killer for what we do. People that have ego dysfunction, I would even go as far as to say it's difficult for them to be successful because you really have to check your ego at the door if you want something great to happen.
1: Right. Well, it's about the song. It's about the music. And and like I said, one of the music's been in my blood since I can remember. And it's one of the greatest places of comfort in my life that I, you know, where I find comfort and joy and sadness, whatever. But uh, I, 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 I don't feel that Annie Roboff is like, wow, you know, you're writing with Annie Roboff. It's not like that. It's like, Let's see what I have to contribute today. Maybe I've got something that, you know, sounds just like you guys, or let's, we know the three of us write great together or whatever. Um, The one thing I, I, there is one place where I have ego. I'm going to, I'll use this podcast for a, for a a confession.
0: Please, please. Uh,
1: I, as you know, I write mostly music and, and melody, but I'm not a singer. Okay, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not a singer-songwriter. So I, I would never make my living as a singer-songwriter unless I was in a group like a Fleetwood Mac where I could have, with the gravelly voice and the unusual voice, done something like that. Uh, so it is very rare that people think I wrote a song. And people go, oh, I love that song, and I love that song, and that song by that one, and that song by that one, and that song. And I have to just really keep my ego in check because most of the time people either figure I didn't write the music or don't know that I'm a writer on it at all. So you really have to make sometimes some really deep decisions with yourself, you know, some agreements with yourself you know where is your ego at because i don't i i all i really care about is creating something that's awesome that no ego once it's created uh i've had to learn to kind of uh accept that sometimes i'm not known as the person as one of the creators right and I, every single singer songwriter that I write with, that sings are great. I mean, I'm like, without them, there'd be no song. There'd be no song at all. But I'm just saying, you know, I'd be bsing if I sat here and said I never have ego issues whatsoever, and you know. Well,
0: okay, I love that we're talking about this because I, I gave that big speech about the ego thing, and I identify, and I. So I think what you're saying is we don't want it in the room. But it's not necessarily bad to do some branding for ourselves outside the room. And I have very similar experience of, and I think for me, in the beginning, I was having a lot of hits, but I was also working with writers that were very charismatic people with huge voices and profiles, like Amy, like Hillary, Brett, James, um, and Troy Burgess now was more like me. We're in there. We're not, you know, we might be the more shy people at the party. Right. And I did get my feelings hurt more than once because I was like, I wrote that too, you know, that. But I think your take on it is dead on. You don't want that in the room, but it doesn't hurt to brand yourself outside the room as, you know, because it is a business and people need to know what you did and and what you're capable of.
1: Right. And it's not easy to brand because... You know, you can have articles written about yourself here and there, and that's great. And on the other hand, uh, PR is usually done by people that are singers who are out there, people that are out there. And um, there's a a famous story that uh, Lenny Kravitz never used to say that he wrote Justified My Love with. I forget who the woman is, but he wrote that song with another woman, and he never mentions her. Wow. Ever. And I would have thought that just Lenny Kravitz wrote Justified My Love. Yep. And that's not true. There's a lot
0: of those examples. We could go on. There are a lot of those examples.
1: And a great, uh, uh, an example of somebody that you want to talk about having great character is Marcus Hummond, because when he wrote God Bless the Broken Road, he was at a bar. And there was a guy at the bar who said God Bless the Broken Road, and and Marcus gave him a part of the song I and mean, his name is on the record. Wow. Just some dude. I right. he heard him say that and he gave him his due. And and uh, I noticed that Beth always says, I wrote this song with this one, with that one, with this one, with that one. But I'll be at the uh uh at the uh bluebird singing with Beth and we did uh this kiss. This is just about a year ago, and somebody said to her, Beth, thank you for that bridge. And Beth said, well, I, I didn't write it. Annie wrote it, and then he looked at me. He was like, thank you for that bridge. You know? And I was like, okay. But no. you, just, you just have to come to deal with a certain invisib- invisibility and come to terms with it. And I think that's an important thing for... Uh, for songwriters that aren't artists to, to know. And you're right, to brand yourself, to get your PR, where you can get it, whatever. But it's, the bottom line is it's not about you. It's that there's this great song that got out there. No, You know, it really
0: isn't. Yeah, and in the big picture, if we go to the movies, when we used to go to the movies, um, we go see a great movie. You know, if we're a big movie fan, we might know who wrote the screenplay. If we're not, we don't really. And I think, you know, that part of being a writer is that you are not, you know, you're not, you're, you're not supposed to be seen really. That's part of the gig, but I have felt what you talked about. You know, I've got a a friend that there was a huge eighties rock band and I will not say the name Bon Jovi. Um, they, (laughs) this is not personal because they're both great guys. Okay. But, um, there was this running deal when they were having all those hits. Like you were told going in by, I think I've got this right. I want to make sure, but I'm pretty sure you were told going in by management that if you had co-writes on this record, you were not going to be listed on the record in any way. So really, if, you go into B, if you go into BMI or ASCAP catalogs, you'll see these other writers tagged on and they weren't the only band that did that. So um, I always remember thinking that no, that's going too far, you know,
1: right. Or how about this one, artists taking people's publishing for the right for them to get on their record. I won't name any names, but I really won't name any names. (laughs) You couldn't get on their album unless they took 12% of the album cut. And then if it was a single, they took 50% of your share. I mean, but again, that shows you how much... You and I, we have to love music because nothing will stop it. Nothing will stop it. And, and you just have to be between yourself and God in a sense of you humble yourself for the just because you have the grace to be at a place in a certain amount of time, at a certain place. We are so lucky that we've been able to contribute what we have. We yep. are so lucky. And we've worked our arses off for it. And we've... Uh, we've managed to carve out excellent careers and i'm very grateful for that because it easily could not have gone that way
0: oh i i talk about that all the time one i told amy the other night our big biggest song was amazed written in that same time period right amy invited me we were not married at the time we were co-writers invited me she was no, notorious for booking a session at county q and then having no songs so two days before a session she's like i need three songs by friday and she calls me up like on a wednesday night at five o'clock and says can you come tonight at nine and help me write a song for this session well i could have easily said i'm tired i wrote already today you know right, right. But i went but but i could i mean it, it would have it was 50 50 and had right. i not done that I could be doing a totally different thing now. And, you know, who knows? But, man, say yes as much as you can.
1: Say yes. And I hear someone, an artist, I will name their name. But when I was at the castle, I used to hear Keith Urban play. This was way before he was Keith, Keith Urban, before he was even in the ranch. But there was this guy playing banjo. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It was when you're with a master, it's a whole other level you you know you're in a different kind of presence and I tried to write with him but I wasn't you know known enough or hip enough to get in dip, you know diplomatically into the writing room and so finally many years later I got into uh, uh, a uh, writing room with Keith Bob Depiro and I another great guy and writer. Yep. Uh, got in and Keith was at a very low point because he felt that he wasn't going to ever have the career that he clearly had the talent to have. And he was upset in the, in the session, he was really upset. And he, he, he cried during the session saying, I, I'm just so frustrated. I don't understand it. And we were both like, it's ridiculous. You're so phenomenal you're so yeah you know, and I was thinking like can I get him a gig as like a second on the James Taylor guitar uh, on the tour you know what can I call up which is not you know he's so much more more than that and then uh he got uh, signed six months later and I don't know why but for whatever reason uh Bob called me back about eight months later and said Keith wants to write with us again. Do you want to do it? And I don't know if it was because I was going out of town or because I had something the same day, but I said no.
0: Wow. Right? Wow. Yeah, I have those two.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and I don't even care that I got on the album or not. I'm, I'm sorry that I just wasn't with Keith while things were going well for him. Right. You know, and had, had that kind of resolution for him. You know, but who knows what would have happened?
0: He that takes me back too because I remember there was a little club that's not here anymore called Jack's Guitar Bar that Keith used to play at like every Friday night, and everybody in town would go out there, and you know you would just go to that thing and like what am I looking at? It was so great. He was playing with Jerry Flowers. It was called the Ranch. Right. And that's right. And and yeah, I remember I had just moved to town, and I'm thinking if this guy can't get a record deal, I need to just leave right now. Right. I mean, holy shit. Right. Um, Keith is one, yeah, I mean, one misstep and,
1: and he's not Keith Urban, you know? And he, I mean, it came so close. It yes. was late in the game for him. And you, you, can, you you'll, there's always a story of something that you didn't do right, but yes is a good word. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a great one with lack of ego. Here's a good one, a, a story of someone with no ego. Back to Missy Gallimore, of course, because she loves music so much because she's so about the song. Uh, one night, Marcus, Beth, and I were doing a benefit at a high school for something. And there was this 14-year-old in the back and uh, uh, off stage, and Missy said, watch her, she's gonna be huge. And it turns out that that her was Taylor Swift. Yeah. And they, Taylor Swift had been signed to Missy and Byron. And Taylor didn't like the way it came out. And I said to Missy, do you regret that? Like, does it drive you nuts that you could have had Taylor Swift? And she was like, no, because it, we weren't the right fit for her. Right? Didn't even flinch. Didn't even, wasn't like like, you know, I can't believe, it. nothing, no because we weren't what was right for her.
0: And it's true. It's true what she said. Yeah. There's always the one that got away, but what I love about this conversation is say yes. Say yes as much as you can. You have to have a life and you have relationships, you have children, and those are the most important things. But I say say yes more than you say no. And you know, if something doesn't work, then don't go back, you know?
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, When you write a song, And you have three people in the room. Is it an automatic divide? Because one thing that I know helps with the ego is if you're in the room, I don't care if you say the dog and that's all that makes it, you get a third or a half.
0: The Nashville way traditionally has been equal splits. I would never go for weird splits. I think it's a bad Mm -hmm. vibe. I think it creates tension. I think it'll make a muse run out of the room with its hair on fire.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've gotten calls from artists saying they only wrote this little bit of the song. Are you sure? And I'm like, third, third, third.
0: Yeah. Period. I've heard the older writers when I came into town call them word counters. Right. And they, th- and they right. would always say they would always say it pretty negative. Like this damn word counter came in That's from right. LA. And right. The, the older country writers that I learned from, that was a, a no go. Agreed. Agreed. Well, Annie, I'm going to wrap it up. This has been such a fantastic talk. Yeah, it's been great. And then I have one other thing. We have a really quick thing we've been doing. If you don't mind, it's called the lightning round.
1: Oh, can sure. I,
0: can I, and I'm going to ask you like nine questions here. And it's just like either or or yes or no. It's just about, about your writing process. You got it. You ready? Yeah. Guitar or piano? Piano. Track or instrument in the room? Instrument in the room
1: with the track.
0: Right on. Uh, Handwritten notepad or computer?
1: Doesn't matter.
0: Bridge or no bridge?
1: Usually bridge unless the song doesn't want it.
0: Words or music first? Music. Morning or evening writing
1: session? Uh, Usually morning, but I've written some good songs in the evenings.
0: And your favorite writing
1: snack? Popcorn. popped Popcorn that you pop yourself.
0: Awesome. Annie Roboff, thank you so much for being on Pitch List.
1: Chris, Lindsay, thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. It was. It, was it really was. And send my love to Amy. Tell her I, I say hey.
0: Okay, awesome. Bye, Chris. Thank you, Annie, for doing this. Okay, see ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pitch List. To hear songs written and or recorded by today's guest, check out this week's playlist by finding us on Spotify at Pitch List Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your preferred listening platform. And if you want, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review. For more exclusive content from this week's guest and more, you can visit our website at pitchlistpodcast.com or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.